Amen. All right. Well, if you would at this time take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number eight. Mark chapter number eight. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break from the book of Mark uh, starting next Sunday morning uh, to do a couple uh, Christmas messages, but uh, we'll see. If I haven't completely decided on that, but that's where I'm uh, looking to go. But for today, I did want to be back in the book of Mark, uh, Mark chapter number 8, and if you would, if you're able to, physically stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading verses uh, 22 through verse 26, and we're standing out of respect and reverence for the reading of God's Word because it is the authoritative Word of God. Mark chapter 8 and verse 22, the Bible says this, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was, he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for uh, the time together this morning already. And uh, now, Lord, as we turn our attention to you and your word, and um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a focus. Um, may you help us to get what you have for us today pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Dr. A, Dr. Al Fassel, a retired preaching professor, wrote about the true story of a man who experienced a rude awakening in church. You see, this man generally fell asleep in church. So he dropped off like he always did, only this time a power outage left the auditorium in total darkness. Well, the pastor didn't use notes to preach, and so he just kept right on preaching. Well, somewhere towards the sermon's end, the groggy parishioner awoke up. He rubbed his eyes, but he couldn't see a thing. He heard the preacher could feel his wife and daughter on both sides of him, but everything was pitch black. And in a state of panic, he stood up and declared, Help me! I'm blind! Well, laughter filled the darkened room, and one complacent church member experienced revival at the altar of embarrassment. And one blessed pastor enjoyed poetic justice. <laughs> Okay, well, today we're going to learn about a real blind man uh, who was in darkness and who was healed by the mighty miracle-working power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one fun fact about this particular passage is that Mark is the only one to record this miracle. It's not found in Matthew, Luke, or John, only found here in the book of Mark. And uh, we're going to look today at the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. 
So let's dive in and see how this man's blindness was cured by Jesus Christ, but then also how the Lord is able to heal our not just physical blindness, but also our spiritual blindness as well. Uh, the first thing I want us to look at this morning is, is this. The man was helped. The man was helped. And we're going to be looking at this man as we go through this passage here. But the, the, the first thing I see here in verse 22 is that this man was helped. Verse 22 says, He cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And so this man was helped to get to Jesus. I read about uh, a man in 1809 named Louis, and you might recognize the last name, Braille. He was born in a small village near Paris in 1809. And he loved to play in his father's leather working shop in an accident with an awl when he was just three years old and a subsequent infection left Braille completely blind by the time he was five years old. He was sent to Paris to attend one of the few schools in the world for blind children. And Louis Braille found the system for reading for the blind to be extremely difficult and the system for writing almost non-existent. And by the time he was 15, the brilliant young man had adapted a French military code into what we now call the Braille alphabet, which blind people could read and write. For the first time, doors of opportunity and understanding were open to those who could not see. The Bible often describes the condition of the lost with the metaphor of blindness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 4, Paul says this, In whom the God of this world, a reference to Satan, the devil, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So a person who is blind needs help from someone else in order to really find his way. He's not really capable of discerning his surroundings and circumstances as well as someone who has good physical sight. When I was a youth pastor, one year there was a girl who was blind that we ended up taking to teen camp. You remember that, Julie? And this girl had this, uh, this device, and uh, it was like a little, uh, little laptop, but, but not, it didn't have a screen, obviously. But it had special keys, and she would carry this with her everywhere. And uh, we had this, uh, this competition all week long on who could memorize, which team could memorize the most scriptures. And so I was one of the team captains uh, that week, and so I encouraged everybody on our team to memorize at least one verse every day. And, uh, and this blind girl, using this little device, was able to memorize, I think, five or six verses. And there were some people on our team <laughs> who hadn't even done the one verse a day situation. And so I one day got my team together and I said, how many of you uh, still have not memorized a verse yet? And a few hands went up and I said, okay. And I, and I can't remember her name now, but I called her up and I said, uh, this girl right here, she can't see. And how many verses have you memorized? And she said, five. I said, okay, y'all have good eyes. What's your excuse? <laughs> I 
Uh, but I remember that week, we, we did have to help her a lot. You basically uh, had to have one girl kind of assigned to make sure she got from place to place. And, and you know, she obviously their other senses are working great. You know, she had great hearing and, and could feel and all those things were heightened uh, because of her lack of sight. But, but she did need to have some assistance. She did need to have people to guide her and help her. Um, now, one thing is for sure. This man, this blind man here in our passage today, uh, we, we find him a man in great need of help. He needed someone to help him. And, and this man was indeed helped. And we see that here in verse 22. Okay, how was he helped? Well, there was a group of people there that, first of all, they had a burden. Uh, their burden. And, and they, they cared about this man enough to want to bring him to Jesus. And so that we see their burden uh, mentioned here. They obviously cared for this man. They, they weren't just focused on their own needs. They took the time to notice this man and to care for him. Now, we all have our own lives. We have all, all have our own needs. We all have our own issues. We all have our own little world that we, but, but we need to, eventually get to the point where we're not just looking at our own lives and getting our eyes on the needs of others. On John 4 and verse 35, Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Now, too often we are just so focused on my schedule and all the things that I have to do and, and my life and, and I'm not saying we don't need to focus on getting our stuff done and all of that, but, but if we're too busy doing that and we don't have time or the energy to look at other people's lives, then we're too busy. You see, God didn't just put us here just so that we would live our lives, but so that we would be a blessing and help others, especially those of us who are believers. Jude verse 22 says this, And of some have compassion, making a difference. Uh, I'm thankful the Lord had compassion upon me enough to want to come and send his uh, only begotten son to this earth so that I could be saved. Uh, I'm glad that uh, others had compassion upon me in this life, that my parents cared enough about me to take me to church. Even when I didn't want to go to church, they took me anyway. Uh, because they had compassion on P. They had a burden to get me to the Lord Jesus. And so my question, I guess, for all of us this morning regarding this is, who are you burdened about? See, this group of people, we don't know their names. We don't know how many of them there were. But in verse number 22, this says, and they bring a blind man unto him. Uh, we don't, again, know who these they are. But it was at least uh, more than one person who said, I have a burden about this man who is blind. Who in your life are you burdened about who may not be physically blind, but spiritually they're blind? Who do you care about and want to do something about it? Who are you burdened about? Psalm 142, uh, one of the sadder verses in the Bible, in verse number 4, Psalm 142, 4, says this, I looked on my right hand, 
and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. And then the psalmist sadly says, no man cared for my soul. There was no one burdened for me. There was no one who cared about my spiritual blindness. Do you care about the spiritual blindness of those around you? About the spiritual blindness of your family members that you'll be getting together with sometime this month? Are you burdened about that? Because look, without Christ, people go to a place called hell. Even your family members. Are you burdened about that? Teenagers who go to public school, you're in class with multiple people who are blind spiritually. Are you burdened about that? Does that that concern you? Do you care about that? Those of you who live in a neighborhood with neighbors, you realize that God puts you in that neighborhood not just because it's a sweet house and not just because of all the amenities uh, around you, but because there are people living right next to you that he wants you to have a burden for. Those who you work with, oh, it's not just a job. It's not just a place you get a paycheck. It's also a place for you to be a missionary and to have a burden for the people that you work with. These men, they had a tremendous burden for this blind man. But then notice not only their burden, let's look here at their belief. You see, they believed that Jesus could heal the man. They had a hope and a confidence that Christ would indeed change this man's life. Do you have the belief and the confidence that Christ can change the life of your family member? your coworker, your neighbor, your teacher at school, the person who serves you your coffee? The answer is he can and does have that power to do that. And so these men, uh, again, we don't know how many they were, but in verse 22, uh, they bring a blind man unto him. They had a belief that if we can just get him to Jesus, Jesus will take care of it. He'll fix it all. He'll change his life. You say, well, yeah, there's somebody in my family that, man, there's just no hope. (laughs) I mean, uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so, I mean, she's just, yoo-hoo. Okay, we all have somebody like that. I happen to be the one in my family. Okay, I'm that guy. I'm Uncle Eric. Oh, Uncle Eric. Okay, well, here's the deal. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, I love this verse. It says, Wherefore, he, God, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. God is able to save anyone. It doesn't matter how a little loony they are. Okay? It doesn't matter all the things they have in their past. God can change a life. Look, if God can change a man who persecuted and tried to murder Christians... 
and change that man into a man who was used to start multiple churches, help pastors, and write 13 books of the New Testament, friend, he can change anyone. He can change their life. These men believed. They had a belief that Jesus can heal their blind man, so much so that we see thirdly here, uh, their bringing. We see their bringing. Verse 22 and. It says, he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him. You see, they had such a burden for this man, and they believed that Jesus could heal him and cure his blindness, and they, they believed so much so that they actually did something about it. Like a lot of us would have a mental burden for our friends, our family, our coworkers, neighbors. Yeah, I know they have a soul. And yes, I have a belief that Jesus can ultimately change their life. Yes, I have that mental assent, uh, mental belief, but, but are we willing to do something about it? See, these men, they didn't just have a burden. They didn't just have a belief that Christ could change their friend's life. They took the effort and made the sacrifice to bring their friend to Jesus. I don't know all the things that that entailed. I don't know how long it took them to get there. I don't know uh, the planning that that required. I don't know um, maybe the sacrifice of time off of work. I don't know. They're willing to be inconvenienced for a little bit in order to try to get their friend to Jesus. What kind of inconvenience and sacrifices are you willing to make to see your loved one, your neighbor, your coworker come to Christ? Look, I know it may be uncomfortable. It may be out of your comfort zone. I get it. But God wants us to be like these they and do what we can to bring those spiritually blind men in our life unto him. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know if that's giving somebody at work an invitation. And I know that at workplaces have different rules and policies about all that. I understand. I got in trouble uh, one time at AT&T for inviting somebody to church on the clock. I got brought into the office and said, you can't do that. Okay. Uh, but look, you're, when you're off the clock going on, going on your way to the car, you could invite somebody. Um, there's ways that you can do this. And if we really have the burden in our hearts, and if we really have the belief that Jesus can change our lives, which we know he can, then let's do what we can to bring the people in our lives who are spiritually blind unto him. If it's inviting a neighbor, you say, well, there's no soliciting in our neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're not selling anything. You're inviting someone to a relationship with God and eternity in heaven. Um, don't, don't let those things cause you to not bring someone to Christ. I, again, I don't know all the things that these men did in order to bring them to Christ, but they did because they had a burden so intense and they had a belief so real that they were willing to bring this man unto him. But it didn't end there. And notice not only they're bringing, uh, third, fourthly here, let's notice they're beseeching. In verse 22, it says, they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. 
So these men didn't just bring to Jesus and they didn't just say, here. They beseeched the Lord. They besought the Lord. In other words, they prayed for him. We can kind of use that uh, loosely. They, be, they beseeched the Lord on his behalf. Look, I realize that your job isn't to, cha- to save them. Our job is to get them to Jesus who can save them. And then let's pray for, let's beseech the Lord on their behalf that God would save them. Uh, there was a man who sat in this room uh, a few weeks ago who had visited a couple times. There's another church in town that had been praying for this man for two decades for him to get saved. And six weeks ago, he got saved. And then just last Wednesday night at another independent Baptist church here in town, this man was baptized and joined that church. See, this church family never stopped beseeching the Lord on his behalf. Who in your life needs to be saved and you have stopped praying for them? Can I encourage you to keep beseeching the Lord on their behalf? Oh, this man was helped. Could he have gotten to Jesus on his own? I do not know. But praise the Lord, there was more than one individual who came together to do what they could to bring this man to Jesus because they had a burden. They cared. May the Lord help us to have a burden in our hearts for those around us, to not just be focused on our own little lives, but to be focused on also the needs of others, particularly their spiritual destination. And to have the belief that Jesus can indeed save them and change their lives. And then so much so that they're willing, we're willing to bring them. We're willing to do what we can to invite them to church, to in, invite them to a relationship with God, to bring them to Christ. And then to keep praying for them, to keep beseeching the Lord. And so we see the man was helped. But then number two, I want us to see here the man was healed. The man was helped by these individuals who brought them to Jesus. Now it was up to Jesus to see what he was going to do. And so in verse 23, the Bible says, He took the blind men by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes, put his hands upon him. And he asked if he saw aught. And he said, He looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. This man was healed. For 51 years, a man by the name of Bob Edens was blind. 51 years of blindness, of walking in darkness. He couldn't see a thing. His world was, was a black hall of sounds and smells. He felt his way through five decades of darkness. And then he could see. See, a skilled surgeon performed a complicated operation. And for the first time, Bob Edens had sight. He found it overwhelming. He said, I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. He said, I don't have the words. I am amazed by yellow. Then he said, but red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. He says, I can see the shape of the moon. And I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving a vapor trail. 
And of course, sunrises and sunsets, he says. And at night, I look at the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. And this man here in Mark chapter number 8, for the first time, is able to see every man clearly for the first time. To be able to see things that you and I take for granted every day. I want to draw your attention here to a couple aspects of this healing. First of all, I want us to see here that it was private. It was a private healing. In verse number 23, notice here it says, He took the blind men by the hand. That must have been pretty, pretty wonderful. I mean, he got to hold the Lord's hand. I mean, most of us have, uh, I mean, that would, be, that would be pretty neat to be able to hold the Lord's hand. The Lord held him by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, in spite of being in the crowd, the Lord leads this man out of the town. Now, why did he do that? Well, for one, he had already pronounced judgment on the city of Bethsaida. Okay, in verse 22, it says, He cometh to Bethsaida. And earlier in Matthew chapter 11, we're going to look at that in just a little bit, uh, but he'd already pronounced judgment on Bethsaida and basically promised he wasn't going to do any miracles there. And so he leads this man out of the town so as to be true to his word. But then, most of all, to show us that the Lord deals with us privately. We're all together in a public room, in a public situation this morning, but I praise the Lord that in spite of the crowd that we have here today, the Lord is still dealing with each individual person. And, you know, and, and you may think, well, no, you're preaching this message right to me, Pastor. I mean, we've all felt that in, 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 in church services where, like, the whole service was God just nailing you. Like, no one else was in the room that I, you're the only one getting preached to. Well, that's the way the Lord deals with us. He deals with us privately. And, and he dealt with this man privately as well. I mean, again, there were probably many people around, at least the group of people that brought this blind man to Jesus, those who helped him. And then the Lord says, I'll take it from here. And he grabs this man and deals with him one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I'm thankful that the Lord does that. Uh, in, in spite of how many people want to come to the Lord, he still is able then to uh, individually deal with us privately. So it was private. But then I want us to see here it was personal. Look here in verse 23 again. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. And then, and then here's how he, the, the means in which the healing took place here. When he had spit on his eyes, so Faith, come on up here. She's like, oh boy, you didn't tell me about this earlier, Dad. <clears throat> Let's pretend that Faith is the blind man, and I'm the Lord. And here's what Jesus does. It says here, when he had spit on his eyes, so... I'm not going to actually do it. I'm not that mean. But isn't that kind of an interesting way to heal? 
where he actually spit on his eyes. And then the Bible says, and put his hands upon him. So he spit on his eyes, and then he put his hands on the eyes. Okay? And then he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up, and he said, well, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. And then made him look up, and he restored and saw every man clearly. So the spitting, the putting the hands on the eyes, and then the putting the hands on the eyes again, that's how he healed this blind man. Thank you. You may be seated, blind man. My hands are cold. And the Lord's hands may have been cold too. So that's, that's the circumstances in which the Lord healed this blind man. Well, in John chapter number 9, we read another account of a blind man being healed by Jesus. And in that account, we find that Jesus spit on the ground and made clay and anointed the eyes of the blind man and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So there was spittle used again. And uh, talk about not being very COVID-friendly, Jesus. <laughs> uh, well, later in Mark's gospel, we're in Mark chapter number 8 here. We'll kind of fast forward uh, to Mark chapter 10 at the end of that chapter. Uh, we'll find that a blind man named Bartimaeus was healed as soon as our Lord Jesus said these words, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. So one time he spit directly on his eyes, put his hands on his eyes twice, which we have in our passage today. Uh, later in John chapter uh, 9, we see how the Lord spit on the ground and made some mud, put that mud on the eyes of that person and, go, and had him go wash in the pool of Siloam. He washed it off and saw clearly. And then one time, all he did is said, hey, your faith has made you whole. And with his word, he was, he was able to see immediately. And the whole point here is this. Um, Jesus heals this man in a different way than anyone else. It was unique and it was personal. I'm thankful that the Lord deals with us on a unique, personal basis. The truth is everyone is saved the same way. According to Ephesians 2 and verse number 8, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith. So everyone in this room who's been saved have all been saved the same way. By grace, through faith, in the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. See, there's only one way to be saved. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter declared this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved in the name of Christ. So those who are saved are all saved in the same way, because there is only one way. However, the circumstances the Lord uses to bring us to that point of decision is unique for each and every one of us. He deals with us personally. On Thursday, I asked my Christian Facebook friends to share how they came to faith in Jesus Christ. I said, tell me in one sentence. Uh, and I was pretty serious about the one sentence scenario, but not everybody obeyed that. <laughs> That's okay. No, tell me in one sentence how you came to salvation in Christ. 
And you know what? Out of the 20 something responses that I received, every single one of them was completely different. Here are the testimonies that came in. I'd like to share them with you. One man said, after being convicted for months concerning my need to repent of my sin and follow Jesus, I decided my pride wasn't worth going to hell over and accepted Christ as my Savior. So uh, the Lord used this, the Holy Spirit, to convict this man for, four, for, for several months. And finally, he gave in to that conviction and came to Christ. One man in our church was thinking about the gospel while listening to a sermon. And then he realized that he had no personal relationship with Christ. And so he decided to come to Christ while delivering a Domino's pizza. So the Lord used a delivery situation uh, to bring someone to Christ. Another man in our church uh, while during college, a person he worked with invited him to church. Oh, so someone had a burden, and they brought him to church. Um, they invited him to church where I attended for over a year before I learned the difference between knowing about God and accepting him as Savior. So the Lord used a uh, co-worker to bring him to the Lord Jesus. Another man that I know responded with the preaching of a missionary. So evidently, he went to a church service where a missionary was preaching and, and uh, used that service to draw him to Christ. Another lady said, My parents brought us up in a conservative Baptist church where I learned what Christ did for me. As my Sunday school teacher taught the gospel story, and because of her example and deep love for the Lord, I accepted Christ as my Savior at nine years old. So the Lord used, in that case, a Sunday school teacher to bring her to the Lord. Another lady I know said, God used Christian school teachers to faithfully give the gospel every morning to second and third graders. So God used Christian school teachers to bring her to the Lord. Another man that I know said, my friend invited me to church. Here's a friend again who had a burden for his friend to invite him and to bring him to church. He invited me to church and shared the gospel to me after the church service, and that's when I got saved. So you see, the Lord deals with us on a personal level. Another lady said, visiting, a visiting evangelist uh, preached on hell very vividly, and she said, I was scared right to the altar. <laughs> so the Lord used a church service, a preacher, to draw this lady to Christ. Another lady in our church said, I grew up attending the American Lutheran Church, and in 1989, some people from Evangel Evangelical Free Church visited and asked us, if you died tonight, are you sure you would go to heaven? So that got me to thinking because I thought I was a good person. Then during an invitation, the pastor asked, is there someone here that would like assurance of salvation? My hand went up, and following the service, I met with the pastor, and he showed me from the Bible Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. He shared other scriptures as well, and I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior that day when I was 37 years old. So the Lord used someone asking a thought-provoking question to draw this person to Christ. Another lady said, I was tired of my life being full of chaos, abuse, and trauma. And so I came to trust Christ and serve Him faithfully when I was 23 years old. 
Uh, the Lord used all the craziness of this life to cause her to think this can't be all there is. Another lady in our church said, I was raised in church when I was 10 years old. I accepted Christ as my Savior on a Sunday night when missionary P.V. Zug was preaching. So the Lord used a faithful missionary and, and the fact that she was just in church on a regular basis on a Sunday night. Say, so is Sunday night really all that important? Uh, I'll just share her name, Miss Pat. You tell me that Sunday night service was pretty important in your life? Another lady in our church said, my younger sister was a child of God and died at the age of 31 from cancer. I originally sought salvation so I could be with her again in heaven, but it slowly became more about my personal relationship with Christ than just a means to be with her again. And that part is just a bonus. <laughs> in, this, in this lady's life, the Lord used cancer and the death of her sister to bring her to the Lord. Not that those things are fun and joyful to go through, but here the Lord uses all kinds of different scenarios and circumstances to bring us to relationship with Him. Another man, uh, I've got a few more here. Uh, these were just such an encouragement to me. Another man that I know said, I attended a, smaller, a small Christian elementary school, and during the chapel, uh, the speaker the, who was the principal gave an invitation, and I was 10 years old when I came to Christ. Uh, another lady that I know said, a bicyclist stopped to help fix my bike chain and probably did more than just fix the bike chain. I think that this bicyclist also gave her the gospel and she ended up getting saved right then and there. Another lady in our church said, I didn't grow up with church and prayer around me until I met my lifelong friend in fourth grade. He and her mom started taking me to church with them. One night in service, I felt the Holy Spirit talking and working on my heart. And with my friend and her mom by my side, I went up to the front to find out how to be saved and have a relationship with Christ. This is when I was 13. I rededicated myself 11 years ago and was baptized at Cornerstone Baptist Church along with my son. So the Lord used a young man uh, to invite her to church. And now she's a part of the family of God because of it. Another one said, "Like uh, another one said, I was raised there at the church and was saved during vacation Bible school when I was either nine or ten. So the Lord used vacation Bible school and the workers there to bring this individual to Christ. Another lady said, God softened my heart ten years ago while living in Belgium. He sent me a spiritual father and Christian friends to bring me to the cross. So again, we see." The, the, there's those who had a burden and did what they could to bring these people to the Lord. He said, I was just saved December of 2011 in our tiny military church while listening to Pastor Wade Miller preach. She said, sorry, I couldn't do it in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, I noticed a lot of people couldn't do it in all in one sentence. Um, but God deals with us in a unique personal way, just like he did here for this blind man. And the circumstances that he uses to bring us to Christ is just all different, very, very personal. But it was not only personal, it was also progressive. This, uh, this particular passage has actually troubled me for many years as a Christian because I've known that 
Hey, when the Lord, you always hear this, when the Lord does something, he always does it 100%. And then it's like, you read this passage and it's like, hey, what happened here? Did he have an off day? Um, how come he didn't heal him immediately and fully the first time? He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town. When he had spit on his eyes, put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, we know that, okay, when I say progressive here, I'm not talking about politically, okay? I'm talking about how this really kind of happened in stages. It was progressive. It was a process. Um, and we know that why it took two times was not because he had some lack of power on his part. And uh, really, here's, here's kind of a cop-out answer, but a good one as well. We don't have to know why. <laughs> if the Lord really wanted us to know why, he would have explained it. Um, but I know for those of us who want to maybe have some other options, um, one commentator did offer some uh, legitimate possibilities. John Phillips, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, said this. He said, we're not told why the Lord healed this particular man in stages. Perhaps an unusual satanic hindrance was present. He said, after all, the people of Bethsaida were under sentence of impending judgment. Um, to me, that's probably not legitimate because that would mean that the satanic hindrance was greater than God's original power. So I would say that's probably not the one that I would go with. Uh, perhaps, and he says this one, perhaps the man himself only half believed. The Lord had been unable to do many mighty works in his hometown of Nazareth because of hindering unbelief. That's possible. Or maybe the Lord wanted to teach a deeper lesson, namely that spiritual illumination often comes gradually. And that could be a little more accurate because of the previous passage that we discussed last Sunday uh, when his disciples who had eyes to see did not actually see. Having ears, they were not able to hear. And uh, he said, how is it that you do not understand? And then he goes right in, then Mark goes right into this record of this particular miracle. Uh, that very well could be more of a, it was a teaching lesson for the disciples who were perhaps privy to all of this. I do not know. Now, while we do not know for sure why it was progressive, when it comes to salvation, the Lord does sometimes bring someone to salvation over a period of time. For example, here's my testimony that I shared. My parents faithfully took me to church where I was exposed to the gospel over and over again. But then as a 12-year-old boy on Christmas night, finally I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior in my home by myself while working through a workbook for my church. And so it took some time for me to get to that point. And for this man, wasn't healed immediately, and I don't think it was because the Lord uh, wasn't able to. I think there was a, another reason for it, and again, I don't know, and we don't know, but it was progressive. And so we see this man was healed, and then let me wrap it up very quickly here with this thought, the man was homebound. 
So verse 25 says, After that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And then verse 26, And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. A couple thoughts about this very quickly. We see the obligation here. The obligation was this man was told to do something and uh, not giving any, not given necessarily any reasons to do it. He was just told to obey, to go home and don't go uh, into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Now you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, doesn't God want us to go out and go and tell it on the mountain everywhere that Jesus Christ is born? Doesn't God want it? Yes, he wants us to do that. But see, this took place during the earthly ministry of Christ, and there were some other things going on at the same time. Say, it doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, what God wants me to do. And, And I read in God's word that he wants me to do this, and it just doesn't make any sense. Look, it doesn't have to make sense. We just need to obey it anyway. It may not make sense to you that salvation is not anything you can do. You cannot earn it. That may not make sense to you. It doesn't have to make sense. It's the way it is. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so for those things that God wants us to do that we don't really quite understand or think, that doesn't make any sense. Let's obey anyway. Look, God doesn't owe us an explanation. Then we see the obligation to go home and share. He didn't say you can't tell it to your house. You can't tell it to your own home. And so we see the obligation to go home and share the truth with his family. A couple of the other um, I'm not going to have time to go through all of them here, so I'm just going to pick a couple. Uh, testimonies of salvation that the Lord used the home life to bring them to Christ. Uh, one lady in our church said, I grew up at Cornerstone and heard the gospel not only at church, but at home my whole life. She said, finally in July of 2014, sitting on the couch with my dad, told him I wasn't saved and I needed to get it settled. And he led me to the Lord that night. So there's an obligation for those of us who are parents, for those of us who are grandparents, to make sure that our family gets the gospel. May we be burdened uh, so much that we're uh, committed to getting the gospel to our own home. Think of uh, Lot. Uh, Lot was a man who uh, was a believer, and yet he did not have a burden to reach his own home. And so while maybe his daughters were saved, his son-in-laws were not. And they completely, they completely laughed when he got serious about his relationship with God. He didn't have a good testimony. He failed to have the right burden for the Lord. But you compare him with Noah. Noah didn't have a large church. He was yeah, you look at his the size of his church, eight. Ooh, let's follow him on Twitter. Ooh, let's share his Instagram posts. No, it's he didn't have a very big following. He only had eight. He only had seven, really. 
he, his wife, and his three sons and their wives. And yet, he reached his own home. They got saved. They got in the ark. So look, you may not be able to reach this whole world with the gospel. Look, all of us have a responsibility to reach the people that God's put into our life, but especially our own home, our own family. There's an obligation there. There's some other good testimonies, but I need to, I need to wrap this up tonight. Or to, it's going to be tonight before long. So uh, let's look uh, lastly here at the opportunity, the opportunity. Uh, I was going to have you turn there. I'll just turn there for sake of time. Matthew chapter 11 um, in verses 20 through 21, 22 says this uh, regarding Bethsaida. Remember I mentioned uh, Bethsaida had been a town that God had delivered or pronounced judgment upon. Matthew eleven twenty says, Then he began to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. And then he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. So here he issues a, a woe, a judgment upon this particular city of Bethsaida. So going back to Mark 8. So now as the Lord says, hey, I don't want you to go into the town or tell it in any of the town because there is a reason for that. Um, there is a woe. There's judgment that I've pronounced upon this town. So Jesus had rejected them. Uh, this town because they wouldn't receive him. They tuned him out, so he ended up turning away. They had been given light, but they instead gorged on the deeds of darkness. And as a result, this community was judged, but individuals in that community were still invited to respond to the gospel message. And as we think about America today, I, I don't know if we're under the judgment hand of God. I, I, I think that in many ways we are. I mean, I praise the Lord for some of the progress we're making in some areas, such as the, um, the Roe v. Wade thing that may be uh, being overturned um, this week that made some good progress along those lines. And I pray that we need to pray for that, obviously. But, but America is definitely not the Christian nation it once was. I think it's pretty obvious as we turn on any of the news channels. doesn't matter which one you turn on. I think it's obvious that as a culture, by and large, we've turned away from God's word and God's ways. I know there's some good people. I know there's, you know, I don't want to be like Elijah and say, ah, we're the only ones. I know there's great Christian people all over this nation still, but by and large, our culture has turned away from God's word. All that being said, there's still time for you individually to respond. See, this, this guy, this blind guy, he had an opportunity for God to change and radically change his life. There's still time for you to individually respond. Well, we don't know how long we have, so let's not delay. There's an opportunity for you today, on December 5th, the first Sunday of 2021, 
to respond to Jesus Christ and be born again. The Lord has used church services and the testimonies I've just read to you multiple times to bring someone to Christ. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you received a flyer on the door. Maybe you've seen the sign. Whatever circumstances the Lord has used to bring you to this point, uh, don't miss this opportunity to come to Christ. Maybe you've been in this church for decades. Maybe you're a member of this church. Maybe you're a deacon. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you have some, it doesn't matter. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? I want to end with one more uh, testimony, and then we'll wrap it up today. Thank you for staying with me a little longer than normal today. This lady said uh, in our church, uh, she says, I was baptized at age eight. But when I was 12 years old, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I had not actually been saved. And that Sunday when my daddy gave the invitation, I went forward, repented of my sins, asked Jesus into my heart and confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Is there someone who needs to do that today? There's someone who needs to come and repent of your sins and believe on Christ and be born again. Today's the day. Don't wait. We're not guaranteed another day. And then for those of us who have, let's find ourselves as part of the they in verse 22, where they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. May the Lord help us to have a burden for the spiritually blind people in our lives and a belief that Christ could change their lives so much so that we do what we can to bring them to Jesus. And then we never stop praying for them. May the Lord help us to be helpers in that way. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, this blind man at Bethsaida who eventually got to see clearly. And Lord, I thank you for the spiritually blind people in this room who were also miraculously healed and are able to spiritually see clearly now. If there's one here today that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, I pray that Today would be the greatest day of their life. May they come to Jesus and be born again. And may they have the testimony that on December 5th, 2021, was the day that I trusted Christ. Now, we don't normally do this here at Cornerstone, but uh, I'm going to ask uh, Miss Pat to play through this song a couple times. And as she does, I'm going to ask a couple questions. And I'm going to ask you to be honest and respond this morning. Uh, with an uplifted hand. How many of you in this room would say, Pastor, I remember the day. I remember the time in my life. I may not remember the exact date, but I do remember the time when I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I'm thankful for it. But God has spoken to my heart today, too, about being uh, a helper to those who are spiritually blind. If that's you, would you just lift your hand this morning and say, Yes, I've been saved, but I need to be a helper. I need to have a burden for those around me. Amen. Many hands today. How many would say, Pastor, maybe I've heard the gospel many times, but the truth is I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Oh, maybe I've done some religious things in my life, but I've never actually believed on Christ. But I'd like to make that decision today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand this morning? Anybody like that today? I've not been saved, but I want to be. I don't want to wait any longer. I'm going to stop procrastinating. I want to make sure I'm 
part of God's, child, God's family. Anybody like that? Just lift your hand right up and right back down. Father, we thank you for the hands that were lifted to say, I'm a child of God, but I need to be part of, I need to be a helper. One that's bringing people to Christ. One that is, has a burden for them. One that has a belief that Christ can change life. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all this week and this season, Lord, to look for opportunities to get the gospel to people and to bring people to Christ. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening uh, this morning.